So first of all, I'd just like to very much welcome all of you to Gaia House and to this retreat. And there are so many very familiar faces here. But I'm also aware that some of you are, are fairly new to Gaia House. Some of you have never been here before. And some of you are fairly new to retreats. So for those of you who are, you know, relatively new, I'd just really like to encourage you to relax. <laughs> I mean, I know sometimes if you're new to this environment, you can come into it with a certain amount of apprehension and concern about what it might be like to sit with your mind for six days. And it's probably not much different for those of you who are new than for those who've been here 20, 30 retreats before. Those of you who've been here before, very much a very warm welcome back, and it's really lovely to see you. And for those of you who don't know us, I'd like to introduce us. I'm probably fairly obvious because I'm the only female and these guys are not called Christina. But this is Rob and this is John. And so this evening we'd really just kind of like to give you a a sort of overview of the retreat, if we may. Now, over the days, you know, you will hear us making probably some fairly frequent references to the Buddha and Buddhist teaching. And if I could just say in the beginning, like, we don't have an agenda here to produce 65 Buddhas by the end of the retreat. The reason that we are making those references is to really understand that in the cultivation of meditation practice and the cultivation of mindfulness, which indeed really has entered the currency of mainstream culture now, that meditation practice and, and indeed the development of mindfulness really does draw upon this incredibly rich and subtle tapestry of teaching. Um, A teaching that began, you know, 2,600 years ago and really has sustained itself through all that time as a way in which people can make sense of their lives, their world, their own minds, a way of actually understanding their relationship, how, how our worlds are born moment to moment, how our worlds are formed, our relationship to all things, how that is shaped. So this evening, I'd just like to speak a little bit about really the art of meditation practice. In some ways, the art of mindfulness. I think it's true to say that meditation practice and indeed the cultivation of mindfulness really has, you could say, two aspects. One I would refer to as being the art 
and the other I would refer to as being the craft. One I would refer to as being the kind of spirit, and the other I would refer to as being the kind of form. Now, within the craft or the form of meditation practice lies all the spectrum of the variety of techniques, cultivations, applications, which meditation practice is really dedicated to developing and cultivating. And within the art, I think, there is really the attitude that we bring to our practice. These two, it's so important that they are interwoven, that they are a seamless fabric. If we have only the craft or the form or the techniques... It can become just a kind of um, almost like a, a, a ritual or another habit that we perform or go through. But we actually speak about this path and this practice as being holding the possibility, the potentiality for the transformation of our hearts and minds. And it is actually not just the techniques or the the craft which allows that transformation. That has much to do with the kind of spirit or attitude which become, through our own intentionality, very much embedded within the form. And I say that at the very beginning of the retreat because I think it's so important that we don't come to a situation like this and feel like we're just going to learn some you know, new skill or new practice or new technique. I mean, we may very well indeed learn those things. But I think it's very important to remember the framework in which those techniques are developed. In some ways that framework is very simple in some ways it's very complex on the simple part you know it's like the Buddha said I just teach one thing that there is suffering and there's the end of suffering on the more subtle the complex there lies this whole world of inner development inner cultivation which is developing our capacity our capacities for calmness, our capacities for kindness, our capacities for compassion, our capacities for attentiveness, for generosity. We actually learn to develop the forms within the the framework of the teaching and it is a development of inner capacity. And that is actually what is transformative. Now, the Buddha very much taught a culture of awakening. He talked about cultivating an awakened life. And formal meditation practice, of course, is given tremendous emphasis because that's where we really learn to calm down, to simplify, to, to clarify our hearts. Um, but the, in the culture of awakening, um, 
the Buddha spoke about how our formal meditation practice is an ongoing dialogue with wise intention, with wise effort, with ethics, with a sense of direction. That the, the Buddha never just said, you know, when people came to him 2,600 years ago, with many of the same questions and dilemmas we face in our lives about loss, about confusion, about alienation, about heartache, about loneliness, the Buddha's answer was never just sit more. Never said that. He would always say, investigate, understand. Understand how this is born, how our world is created. Understand what is healing. Understand what is liberating. Understand what, is, uh, what allows our hearts, our minds to be spacious, inclusive enough to embrace this life. To embrace this life. Now, that cultivation of a, you know, so the Buddha never spoke about just about meditation practice. He spoke about a meditative path, a path of awakening, not just about what we do on a cushion or on a chair in a walking path. Now, no one ever said this was easy. In fact, often when the, when the Buddha talked about this cultivation of all that is healing and liberating and calming and awakening, he often talked about it as swimming against the tide. You know, and what is the tide we are swimming against? Well, it is really the tide of our own habits, our own psychological and emotional habits that just keep us mired in confusion and distortion. So to swim against the tide does not require, you know, necessarily striving and forcing and pushing. It does require a lot of patience, a lot of perseverance, a lot of dedication, and a lot of remembering about why we are doing this. In order really to understand what it means to be awake, to be clear, to have relationships which are are, are healthy, clear, insightful, outwardly and inwardly. Now, there was, uh, th- there's a, a line, a few lines that I came across many, many years ago, which have always been deeply meaningful for me, and they continue to be meaningful. When the Buddha talked about the path, and he said this path is one that is lovely in the beginning, lovely in the middle, and lovely in the end. And when I first read that, I didn't have a clue what was being referred to. Because it just wasn't in accord with my experience at all. You know, I'd done lots of practice, and, you know, it didn't really feel that lovely in the beginning. It felt pretty tough, you know. The middle didn't seem that much better, you know, it was still tough and, you know, and still, you know, kind of like demanding and challenging and sometimes really hard. And if there was any loveliness at the beginning, at the end, it was usually the feeling I'd survived a retreat and I was so happy it was over. But I did understand that this was not what the Buddha was referring to. So I took that as a koan for myself, you know, what does that mean? 
for this path, this practice, to be lovely in the beginning, lovely in the middle, and lovely in the end. And I realized it wasn't really to do with the contents of, of meditation. You know, It wasn't to do with whether I had a good sitting or a so-called bad sitting, you know, or a terrific walking or a tremendously you know, fragmented walking. It wasn't really about the contents of the experience. That the loveliness had much more to do with my unconditional willingness to embrace what is with kindness and spaciousness. And I'd really encourage you to, to bring that into your own retreat. The unconditional willingness to embrace and to be present with what is, with kindness and with spaciousness. And, you know, if there's a couple of key qualities, key words that I think are so important to take into your retreat, it is these two, kindness and spaciousness. And we will speak a great deal about them over the retreat because they are the qualities that we forget so easily. That we forget so easily. And how easily... We get caught in the habits of demand, of agendas, of project, of judgment, ideas of progress, ideas of failure. And this is really, you know, the tide that we're swimming against. You know, and one of the kind of translations of mindfulness is really about remembering. You know, it's remembering to be present, yes. It's remembering to be here but it's also remembering kindness and spaciousness. And you'll surely know when when you get forgetful because that's when the practice can feel very tight, very contracted, very, you know, me-centered, how I am doing well or badly. Kindness and spaciousness. Kindness and spaciousness. One of the first instructions I was ever given when I began to practice was to find a secluded place with long views. Now, in a lot of ways, you know, we have a secluded place here. I mean, all of you, you know, all of us have kind of stepped out of a life that often feels like a whirlwind, overfall, you know, very busy, very demanding. And we're entering this kind of, this place here, which is really pretty secluded. You know, even if you're together with 70 other people, you know, relatively it's pretty secluded. And we're not, we're not offering much entertainment here. In fact, you know, this really is it. (laughs) (laughs) So just to kind of let you in on that, no, no juggling, no cabarets, no, you know. Nothing of that nature. It's a secl- relatively, this is a really secluded place. Mm-hmm. But the secluded place, I think, is also our mindfulness. Because mindfulness is there really to seclude the mind in a lot of ways. Not to disconnect, not to divorce, not to push away, but to seclude the mind from all the habits of busyness, of you know, being lost in planning, lost in manufacturing, to find simplicity. To find simplicity. And the long views is really important. And this is what I was talking about in spaciousness. 
a sense of ease. You know, a sense of ease. Not, not judging too much, a single sitting, a single walking, entertaining much more. You, I just don't know, mind. You don't know how the week unfolds. You don't know what emerges. You don't know what you encounter. And it is much, much better to, to begin and, and to sustain a retreat with that sense of openness. And, you know, Ajahn Sumedho once referred to it as affectionate curiosity. Affectionate curiosity. Just about the moment. Just about what's present. Just about being here. Much lovelier way to undertake a retreat than to come with, you know, a lot of agendas and projects in mind, which for sure will seem probably quite irrelevant, at least by day two. Spaciousness, kindness, seclusion, long views. Who's next? Me. Good. Thanks. Thanks, So let me add my own very, very warm welcome to you. It's it's wonderful to see so many of you willing to commit time and energy to explore this path that offers the possibility of greater inner freedom and a different kind of happiness, a more enduring kind of happiness than that which is common in our culture. The focus of the retreat is mindfulness, insight, liberation, and we have until Friday lunchtime. So, um, our time together is short and precious. And we can make the best use of that time, really, if alongside the formal practices, the techniques of meditation we'll be describing, instructing, we also do our best to cultivate and embody certain very general qualities of mind and heart. It's very interesting. Um, I'll be touching very obviously on what Christina has just said. I'm focusing on the spirit aspect of it. And is in the nature of so much of the teachings in this path. You'll hear the same message in slightly different words over and over again. But there's no problem with that. It just happens that when we each sit down and think, well, what's the most important thing to say? It comes up with a similar message. So I'll put it slightly differently than Christina. The Buddha, when he developed this path, which is a very elegant sort of integrated program for reaching greater freedom and happiness, identified a number of core underlying wise intentions or motivations. Um, 
actions, thoughts rooted in these wise intentions lead on to greater freedom and to greater happiness, whereas thoughts and actions that spring from other motivations don't. That's the nature of the wise intention. And I find it really interesting and really you know, a mark of the Buddha's genius that of all the possible motivations one could consider and identify, he just picked on three as these underlying wise intentions. And they are renunciation, letting go, loving kindness, this unconditional friendliness and goodwill to all beings, and compassion, the intention to end all suffering. So let me reinforce Christina's invitation, which focuses specifically on kindness and spaciousness, to invite your minds to the extent that they can to cultivate, to bring to mind, to embody these three beautiful wise intentions in each moment of this retreat, starting now as best we can. I'll say a little bit more about each of them. Renunciation means letting go of our agendas, of our need to have things and ourselves be a particular way. The fundamental spirit here that we seek to cultivate and imbue in everything we do here is that of allowing and acceptance, of releasing ourselves from the struggle to make life conform to our wishes and expectations. There's this lovely phrase, a mind heart of non-contention, non-struggle. Loving kindness involves the simple attitude of bringing goodwill to all that we encounter, whether it be other beings, ourselves, or particularly our own inner experience, our thoughts, our feelings, our body sensations. And sometimes, obviously, it can feel impossible to embody kindness to anything that we're experiencing. We just seem so far away from kindness. And the invitation here is to bring kindness even to that sense of unkindness, even to our inability to experience or foster any glimmer of kindness. That itself we can bring kindness at some level too. Which brings us to the third, very closely related wise intention, that of compassion. The intention to respond to difficult, unpleasant, painful situations and experiences that we or others may encounter with heartfelt care and gentleness rather than with harshness or self-judgment or criticism. So a great spirit of gentleness, kindness, acceptance 
allowing. These are the key aspects of the prevailing spirit we're seeking to imbue and soak and saturate everything we do with. The Buddha actually put a primary emphasis on loving kindness. One of his teachings was this. Whatever grounds there are for making merit productive of a future birth, all of them do not equal a sixteenth part of the liberation of mind by loving kindness. The liberation of mind by loving kindness shines forth bright and brilliant. So a very, very clear statement that you know, loving kindness is not just an optional extra. It's not just a good feel-good factor that we add to the mix. It is the foundation for all our practice, uh, formal and informal, for everything we do here, if we're seeking this liberation of heart and mind. So, if you only remember one thing I say, which probably in turn Christina, I and Rob will repeat, it is this. Please be kind to yourself in every moment of the retreat as best you can. So I wish you a fruitful and kindly and happy retreat. Thank you. So I would also very much like to add my welcome to you all. Uh, welcome to this retreat and welcome to Guy House. Mm. Just a few brief things. Um, and actually, as we're on the theme of kindness, I'll, I'll start there. Uh, Christine has mentioned it already and John too, but it turns out in the practice of meditation, the development of the art of meditation, that our attitude to practice, our relationship with practice, is actually one of the most important factors and one of the things that contributes the most, we could say, to, to the whole process deepening and opening and, and the transformation that we're, transformations that we're actually interested in. So this becomes a very interesting area, not just the meditation object, whatever it is, but what's my actual attitude to the practice and to myself as I practice. So we talked to both John and Christine about bringing kindness into the practice. What can also really help is the way we see the practice. So we can see practice in different ways at different times, but to actually see it as a kindness to ourselves. There's no other reason that we're doing this. No other reason that we would kind of uh, lock ourselves away for a week and put, put ourselves through all this if it wasn't, if it wasn't uh, a kindness, if it wasn't a gift to ourselves. But sometimes at the beginning of a sitting, at the beginning of each sitting, of each walking, to reflect, 
This is a gift to myself. This is a gift of kindness. This practice is a movement of kindness, a gesture of kindness. So the, the, this is a, a very precious opportunity you know, to have a week together uh, to, to devote to practice in this way. And in a way, a retreat is, is uh, precious because it's a time carved out from the busyness of our life to devote to what are our deepest intentions, our deepest kind of movements and currents and yearnings in this life. It's extremely precious. It's so easy in, in the world to get a little bit drawn off this way or that way. And so, oh, that's all we're interested in this week. What are my deepest intentions? And kind of giving, giving ourselves fully to that stream, to that current. And we have the space here for that and we have the time here for that. So you may know right now have a sense, you may have a sense very clearly what your deepest intentions are, or that may remain a little a little unclear. You may have a vague sense of it. But I wonder, as human beings, if, if, if one goes into that question, what are my deepest intentions, and really looks inside and listens deeply, deeply in the silence of the being, I'm pretty sure that for all of us, our deepest intentions would also include a kindness to others. Not just not just what we wish for ourselves, but there's something deep in human beings, deep and authentic, that wishes good good and and well-being to others. And that attitude is extremely important. The Buddha talked about it a lot. But it's, again, it's something we can tap into as part of the, our attitude to practice and part of the way we're seeing practice. In other words, every time I sit down. Every time I go to the walking meditation, it's a kindness to myself, it's a kindness to other beings, it's a gift to the world. It might be modest, it might feel like I'm not offering much. There's something about standing, aligning oneself with that, with that gift, with, with, with the wishing for that gift, offering what one is developing, what one is willing to put up with, offering that to all beings. So that practice, instead of being just about me, opens up. And I know for many of you anyway, it's already open. But we can open it more and more and more and in a way that has no limit, has no limit how much we can open up the, the sense of the gift of our practice to all beings. It has no limit. In the Mahayana tradition, the sort of later uh, Buddhist tradition, uh, they talk about bodhicitta. It's the, the, the heart that wishes this well-being and devotes uh, one's life and one's practice to, to the well-being of all beings. So we can actually sh- remind ourselves of that or connect with that, even drop it in if it doesn't seem to resonate. What would it be right now to be practicing for all beings? And my knee hurts and my back hurts, my mind's going crazy and I'm tired or I'm restless what would it be to just remind ourselves, I'm doing this for all beings, I'm practicing for all beings. And it's expanding out from not just how I'm doing, how I'm doing, how it's going for me. There's something beautiful and precious in that, in that opening. And as I said, it can expand more and more. So it might seem far-fetched, too much, but we, we put a seed in and it grows. And it grows. And we cultivate it, we nurture it. So... Buddha talked in this practice, what we're doing, one way of looking at what we're doing basically is we're 
how to say, in the process of uprooting, of uh, interested in the decrease of greed, aversion, and delusion. And one just needs a little reflection. Oh yeah, that is what's going on here. And if that is what's going on, then that decrease, that uprooting, gradual as it may be, is part of then what I put out into the world. The decrease of my greed, my hatred, my anger, my delusion becomes part of something that's healing the world. It's the very same thing. I'm putting less poison out, putting less agitation out. The important thing I want to say is that we can remind ourselves of this and we can align ourselves with this many, many, many times during a retreat. It makes a big difference. In the, again, in my tradition, talk about giving away one's practice. Give it, give it away. Give it away. Give it all away. So, another part of this is when we come into the hall to sit, or when you go out to do the walking meditation on the grass or, or in the walking room or wherever, can I see that that is going on already? Can I see that actually I am being supported? I'm being supported by the person sitting next to me, by their silence, by their commitment, by their steadiness, by their just showing up. And I too am supporting. See that, mutually supporting, mutually encouraging each other, mutually uh, giving to each other. So a lot about practice is tuning the viewing, tuning the attention. We're tuning it in to see kindness, to see the same situation and just looking at it differently. I see it in terms of kindness to me and to others. That's a, a major theme in practice, is to see differently. Part of that, part of this supporting each other, is uh, what we call sila, is a Pali word, which is the original language that the Buddhist teachings were recorded in, S-I-L-A. And it really translates as um, care for ethics, or care about how we are with each other, our relationship with each other, what we're putting out into the world. So we're here for just under a week together, and 60-something people, and we kind of collectively come to a common agreement about how we are going to be with each other, to support each other. So there's five, uh, what they call precepts, five training guidelines around ethics. And the first is non-harming. So just as much as possible, so we practice non-harming in the context of this retreat, certainly to each other. What does that mean? What does it look like to explore that? But also to the other life forms that are around here. And uh, you will encounter insects, etc. So refraining from killing, refraining from harming, respecting life. All of these five precepts are gestures and movements of respect. Respect to oneself, respect to others, respect to all life. The second precept is not taking what is not given. Training oneself not to take what's not given. And you will see, if you haven't been to Guy House before, you can leave stuff around and it will still be there pretty much unless... Neil has uh, cleaned it up. <laughs> it will probably, probably still be there. Because there's a, a culture here of not taking what's not given. All, all this is a, a gift of safety, a gift to others that allows a climate of safety, a climate of trust, of non-guarding. don't have to keep the armor up. 
the third precept has to uh, is is around sexuality outside of retreat it means in our everyday life it means just using our sexual energy wisely uh, using it with care with respect with uh, off- offering that to another respecting uh, someone else's body in their in their life on retreat for all of us what it means for this week is just a conscious abstinence uh, from deliberate sexual activity and again what it allows is we don't have to watch you know we don't have to watch what's coming towards us we can kind of relax and just soften the heart can soften in, in the atmosphere of these precepts fourth one has to do with speech outside of retreat everyday life it means uh, speaking what's true what's uh, speaking not in a harsh way as much as possible not idle chatter and not gossip um, very simple for us on retreat because it's mostly us doing the talking and uh, there will be what we call noble silence which I'll speak about in a minute apart from the groups it's just everyone agreeing together to be to be really silent uh, for the most part. Fifth one has to do with uh, what we take into the body and the mind and just guarding, taking care of our sensitivity, our alertness, the, the, um, yeah, the sensitivity of the mind. So what substances do we take in in our life? What media do we take in? that affects that, that dulls the sensitivity, that dulls the alertness. This is really, really crucial. Again, on the retreat, it's made simple because this is uh, just an agreement for complete abstinence from any, any drink or drugs or other substances that uh, cause intoxication or, or insensitivity. So all these precepts to, to encourage, to allow a, a trusting, uh, respectful, uh, caring peaceful environment they're, they're a gift of love and that's what Sila really is it's, it's living a life of love it's the basis of living a life of love ok another S simplicity uh, that's again a gift to oneself and a gift to others um, if you arrived relatively late or even if you arrived earlier make sure tonight that you really feel yourself arrive here that you really feel the body on this retreat at Guy House here. So if you want, uh, it's a lovely night outside, take a little walk around the grounds, have a cup of tea later on, but really feel yourself arrive, feel the body uh, settle here. If you have any um, business or calls that you need to make or something hanging over from the week, please see if you can get that done tonight and just kind of put it aside and then you're uh, open and fresh and uncluttered for the rest of the week. I'm not sure if it's up already, but there's a schedule for a daily schedule for the week, and you'll see. And it basically looks like sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, with a, a bit of us talking. <laughs> um, see if there can be a simplicity in relationship to the schedule. In other words, there's just that's what it is at this time. It's not a question: what will I do? If it says sitting, just come sit. If it says walking, just go walk. There's a simplicity and a, an abandon in that, a surrender. It's a very beautiful quality. And it makes the inner mind, uh, the inner heart, also simple. And that, that simplicity is the soil of, of transformation, is the soil of something beautiful. 
last S, sila, simplicity, last S is, is about the silence again, to touch into the silence. So, as you're aware, this whole week is in, in the climate and the context of this uh, togetherness in silence. And as for some of you it will be new, and others will be very familiar in, in between. It's very easy for either if you're new or if you're old and you've done lots of retreats, to actually underestimate the, the, the place and the power of silence on retreat. As uh, both Christine and John were saying, there's something about art and craft here. Silence is very much in, in the art of it. Something mysterious can happen in the silence that infuses the practice uh, and, and allows depth. Sometimes it can feel a little odd because we feel, well, we're 65 people or whatever and we're not talking to each other and it's, it's a bit alienating. If one opens and, and relaxes and allows, actually through the silence, in the silence, can, can be a lot of sense of connection, a lot of sense of togetherness, a lot of beauty in that. And seeing if one can feel one's way into that, if one can open into that sense. really to, just an invitation then, to really commit to, to silence, to really give yourself to it wholeheartedly. There's a beauty in silence that we can discover if we do that. It's almost like the silence holds us, it's, it supports our being, supports our heart and supports our practice and it's there for tapping into. It's right there. So, Everyone, almost everyone nowadays, has a mobile phone. And uh, please just bury that uh, for this <laughs> retreat. So we dug a hole in... No, I'm just kidding. Um, put it, bury it in the bottom of the suitcase. Um, we are a little bit... It's almost become like another part, part of the anatomy uh, nowadays. Um, sometimes people think, well, it's silent if I still text, but that's not the spirit of the silence. We close the door to the spirit and the gifts of the silence if we're still texting. Um, or sometimes people use it as alarm, I've noticed that. And, and then they see, oh look, someone's texted me, I wonder, I wonder who it is and what they've said. And then a long slippery slope. Um, please, please, do uh, give the gift to yourself of, of really, really turning it off and just putting it in the bottom of the suitcase. So there does seem to be a correlation between those who really give themselves to the silence and those who deepen in practice. Pretty much one sees that over the years if you stick around this, these kind of places long enough. Something about not underestimating the silence. And sometimes, you know, we see as teachers people not have that attitude towards the silence. And sometimes we think they kind of they don't know what they're missing. They're missing something. It doesn't seem significant. I just make calls and some texts or whatever you might not know what you're missing so I wish you a lovely retreat I wish you a very fruitful retreat and uh, that's it so uh We'll end the evening with this short sitting, but before we do that, I invite you, if you'd like to, if it's helpful for you, just stand up, stretch your body for a moment. You've been sitting already for a long time.
apparently there, there's a there's a new phrase that's been coined to describe the state of many people's waking consciousness, and this new phrase is continuous partial attentiveness. <laughs> it's not good news, by the way. <laughs> this is not good news. It's describing how more and more in the people's working environments, you know, particularly when they're being asked to respond to many needs at the same time, many technological interruptions, that there comes about this kind of consciousness of continuous partial attentiveness. I think, you know, this is actually not really new. Um, you just got a phrase for it. But I think, you know, historically it's really what is talked about in this teaching is, you know, the mind that can feel pretty fragmented, distracted, um, uncollected. Now, if we get really, really simple about meditation practice, we are the first job of everybody on retreat is just to calm down. That's simple. Calm down. Calm down the mental states. Calm down the busyness. Calm down the fragmentation. And the way that we really endeavor to do that is by quite intentionally collecting and gathering our attentiveness. Collecting and gathering our attentiveness, integrating mind and body in present moment, simplifying being here. Now, over the week here together, we will actually be exploring the four foundations of mindfulness as they have been taught over time in, in this tradition. But there is this, this very central piece in this exploration, which is about being collected, gathered, awake, present. It's where we start. It's not something that we forsake when we become an expert meditator. It's something we sustain through the whole of the path. It's where we begin this evening. So I invite you just to find a posture for your body that feels relaxed, but also feels alert. That you feel your posture embodying that, those qualities of balance, alertness, that we're seeking to cultivate. Aware of your body, touching the ground, cushion, the chair. Aware of those contact points, feelings of warmth, of pressure. Your hands, feeling your hands touching each other your legs, being mindful of the touch of the air on your skin,
Being aware of all the range of sensations in your body. The very obvious surface ones, the subtler sensations. Just aware of the life of your body. Everything that it holds. Pleasant sensations, unpleasant ones. Expanding the field of your attentiveness, aware too of your body listening, sounds, silence, receptive, curious quality of mindfulness. Just being aware of what your mind is doing in this moment. The thoughts that are there, images, the state of your mind, whether it feels dull or bright, busy or calm. Being mindful of your mind. Again, within your body. Being aware of your body breathing, not forcing or controlling your breathing in any way. Just being aware of that very natural, unforced breath, whether it is deep or shallow, it doesn't matter. Just aligning your attentiveness with your body's breathing just as it is.
cultivating a moment to moment attentiveness, calming the body, calming the mind. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.